0: Jen. Hi, Sarah. <laughs> you've got a big, you've got a big weekend ahead of you. I know. I'm going to Birmingham, Alabama. Have you ever been to
1: Birmingham? Um, if my mental map is correct, then yes. Once Mr. Reed's romance and his entire family and I in a minivan drove
0: from Houston to Atlanta and I think we stopped in Birmingham at a Waffle House. Ah. Uh-huh. Well, that's so nice. I've uh, never been to Birmingham. I've been to Alabama. I was in Alabama one time when I was in middle school. I was on the Science Olympiad team. <laughs> Ooh,
1: nice. And we
0: were the best Science Olympiad team in all of Rhode Island. And we went to Auburn University to compete in the National Science Olympiad. That's amazing. And we lost horribly. And I sprained my ankle in the woods. So... They had signed Olympiad out in the woods. <laughs> it was I had I don't know. There's like map reading or compass reading or something, and I tripped and I fell and I sprained my ankle, and it was all very sad. And apologies to Jeff Sikowski, who was my partner on that trip, and we lost the compass reading competition because I sprained my ankle in the Alabama woods. <laughs>
1: I will say, I bet Alabama, It's I bet it's a really nice time of year in Alabama, right? I bet it's going to be warm and sunny in spring. Um,
0: You would think so, but according to the weather, it's 38 degrees in Alabama um, today. Okay. So, uh, well, anyway, I'm going to see my, fr- the best part about it is I'm going to see my friend Rachel, Rachel Hawkins, and then I'm going to see Naima Simone, and Naima and Sally Kilpatrick and I are going to do, Two, count them two sessions on romance as part of the Southern Voices Book Festival. Despite the fact that I am neither Southern, nor do I write about the South. But it's fine. I'm fond of the South. <laughs> so <laughs> I bet they have sweet tea. I think
1: it's going to be delightful.
0: I'm going to have a wonderful time. Fried food. Ugh. And yeah, I'm excited. I'm ready. I, I'm hoping for a green tomato, but I don't think they're in season. Yeah, i don't know our southern listeners are gonna be like sarah you're such a dum-dum <laughs> um but we but so anyway birmingham i hope that you see us i hope i hope i've met you if not next time anyway welcome everyone welcome to faded mates everybody
1: <laughs> enough about sarah's travel plans. Yes. i will be home in cold chicago we are going to see a play
0: what play are you going to see
1: We're going to see a play at
0: Steppenwolf
1: called Bug. And if you are not a Chicagoan, I will tell you that Steppenwolf is always, like, where you go, where you just want to, like, stare down into the pit of the soul of humanity. Mm. I've never seen a play there that was not just, like, that didn't have the thesis, like, people are terrible.
0: Well, yeah. Isn't that where that—Steppenwolf produced John Malkovich, I think— yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, you know I love I love John Malkovich a whole lot. He's a super weirdo, um, and I will watch him do anything. So, A plus, Wolf. great job, great job raising a weirdo.
1: <laughs> it's gonna be great. I think it's gonna be real great not talking about theater, really, or John Malkovich
0: or anything this week. Should we introduce ourselves? Did we do this? Oh, yeah. I'm Sarah McLean. I write romance novels and I read romance novels. And I'm Jen
1: Reads Romance and I read romance novels and (laughs) write about them for Kirkus.
0: And my randomest thoughts on Twitter. I'm Jen Reads Romance. Um, everybody, if you didn't get a chance to read Jen's absolutely brilliant piece in Kirkus this week, or last week, uh, on obituaries and the, jumping off of the obituary, um, that the Times wrote of Joanna Lindsay for Joanna Lindsay's death, um, and talking about gender and how we write about women who write and how we talk about women who write and how misogyny and patriarchy are and everything we do, uh, you absolutely should. We'll put it in show notes.
1: Oh, that's nice, Sarah.
0: And by we'll put it in show notes, I mean, Jen will put it in show notes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, that is also true. Fine. I'm going to put myself in show notes. That's it's our <laughs> podcast. We get to do what we want. Uh, do what I say. Put yourself in show notes. This week, however, we are going to be talking about uh, Tessa Bailey, the Queen of Dirty Talk herself. <laughs> mm.
0: Oh, she's so good.
1: Yeah. So I actually was going back through. So the book we're actually going to be talking about is "Asking for Trouble," um, which is like a book the blooded Sarah. We both had Tessa Bailey books on our lists. Um, But we're going to talk, I think, probably about Tessa Bailey in general after we talk about this book specifically because I'm a big fan. Um, For a lot of reasons, I think she just really is like speaks to my id, whatever that is. Um, Here's the thing I was looking back because I was like, God, what was the first Tessa Bailey book I read? And I was looking back through my um, Amazon, my content and devices, And in one two-week period, starting in 2016, when I'm guessing one of her, like, her books were on sale because I bought a bunch of them for, like, 99 cents, I read 12 Tessa Bailey books in two weeks. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) From, I'm not even kidding, it was from, like, June 16th or 17th, 2016, to, like, July 1st. It's literally, like, Tessa Bailey, Tessa Bailey, Tessa Bailey. Like, I just gobbled them all up. So...
0: I uh I read Tessa Bailey. I This is Asking for Trouble is my first Tessa Bailey. Um oh, interesting. Okay. And it was because um my friend Sophie Jordan, who also loves a dirty talker, um she recommended like she had either met Tessa somewhere or like had read had read one of these books. And she was like, you got to, you got to do this. You got to read, you got to read her. She's amazing. She's like, the books are super hot. They move, they have this like incredible straight shot. And I've never read Dirty Talk like this Dirty Talk. And I was like, well, (laughs) challenge accepted. (laughs) And then you were like, oh. (laughs) And then I was like, holy crap, and so, I, I mean, like, truly, I think we're going to talk about these books. We're going to talk about so many of the things they're Look, the reality is, like, on paper, I should not love these books. Sure. They're not my kink. Um, largely not my kink. Um, I don't like police officer romances. Like, they are not a thing that I read very much of. Yeah. Um, but man, asking for trouble hits like it fires on all c- cylinders for me. Well, it's because he's not really a
1: cop on page at all. Like no. We never really see him at work, I think. No,
0: no. And I like when he's introduced, he's like, Oh, he's like an explosive expert and it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> like he blows shit up and that's all you need to know. Um so but I do love enemies to lovers. So that is part of why mm. this book I think really like works so well for me um but truly I want to talk I feel like this whole episode is really going to be about dirty talk and what we want from it and what it does on the page and why Tessa seems to be so good at it yeah that's Um, interesting But why don't we talk about the series first do you want to like explain the series and then talk about your book which is the first one which is her debut we think I think so, yeah. Which is real
1: wild. Talk about like just starting real hot.
0: I'm gonna I'm gonna text
1: her and see if she'll text me back while we're doing it. But go on. Okay, so this well, it's really interesting. the The first book of the series takes place in Chicago. It's called Protecting What's His, and um, basically a, a, well, I don't really want to necessarily get into it. What's interesting is the rest of the series takes place in New York. And then a second series she writes is about like sort of cops in New York, and then like returns back to Chicago. So she kind of so the the character um, who is the first hero in protecting what's his his name is Derek, <laughs> um, not Derek Craven, but my second favorite romance Derek. <laughs> And he, uh, he kind of returns as, like, their lieutenant in that whole second series. So we get, like, little glimpses of him.
0: Um, okay, she just texted me back. That is her debut. Jesus,
1: wild. Um, <laughs> this book, Asking for Trouble, centers around a group of friends in New York, um, and essentially, like, some of the friends are cops, and then, like, as they fall in love, some of the women's friends date the other cops, right? And um, the one before this, I think, is he, is about a detective. Then there's this one, Brent is an explosives, you know, sort of expert, whatever. Um, in the next book, it's, like, Brent's sister and their other friend. Um, and then there's also one where... It's sort of a little bit of an outlier. I think the the bridge is a cop from Chicago that worked with Derek, comes to New York, and sort of, like, meets these guys. So it's, like, not really as tight in terms of, like, the way the relationships are as some later series. Um, but in this one, Hayden, who's our heroine, is, like, this society princess who really, you know, she, like, works at a nonprofit. But she's basically, like, rich and has, like, a townhouse on the – Upper East Side, which I can't imagine is cheap, and then we get um, Brent is this explosives expert, and they're drawn into each other's orbits because um, in the previous book, his best friend and her best friend fall in love. And mm-hmm. they just are like sniping, sniping, sniping at each other. And as this book opens, she finally, essentially, the gauntlet gets thrown down, and she's like, "Fine, come back with me." Like all of their flirting, all of their sort of hate talk was really flirting talk. We come to understand, and they come to understand, right? Um, so he goes back to her house with her, and they <laughs> basically don't even make it out of the foyer. Mm-mm. Um. She, like, rides his face. <laughs> it is really, really hot. And then, like, basically the there's a knock on the door. And it's interrupted. And, like, so the rest of the book is sort of this, like, I don't know. It's really interesting, too, I think, the plotting of this book, which we can talk about. But kind of them figuring out that their animosity was really sexual tension and how to resolve these class differences between them.
0: Yeah, which is – I think so powerful. There's like, at first blush, these books, which came from, came out um, from Entangled. um, So these were, this whole series was Tessa's first series. um, And she wrote them. I mean, she, I remember when I met her for the first time, it was pretty quickly after this, um, these books had come out and Mm -hmm. she put out something like five books, In 2013, like just was writing like crazy. And, um, and it's really awesome. Like the, she sort of was one of those authors who write, this was right as eBooks had become like, it was clear Mm -hmm. that we were never going back like eBooks and indie publishing and small presses were going to dominate romance for the foreseeable future. Um, and, Tessa was one of the first writers. So I remember um, a little bit before this, maybe two or three years before this, I met Bella Andre at an RWA conference and she told me that there were two ways to succeed in romance. As an indie published author, as a small press published author, as an ebook like a digital author, and those two ways were one: you were old enough, Barbara Frethie style or Roxanne Sinclair style, mm-hmm. to have um, a massive backlist and to yeah. have been smart enough to collect that backlist before the publishers knew what they had, what they mm. were sitting on. Interesting. And like so, Barbara Freedy I'm I'm sorry, guys, I'm going to take a little trip a little diversion trip and then come back. But like Barbara Freethy at the time, Barbara Freethy who is the number 1 best-selling author on Amazon of all time. Oh wow, I don't um, think I knew that. Is she wrote a bunch of contemporaries for Harlequin or love swept or somewhere and just got them all back. Like when oh. ebooks there was a time my first publishing contract ebooks were not in the in the contract at all. Wow. Like ebooks didn't exist. Yeah. So that's wild. Um, and so she collected all her books back, and then she put them all up online, and like started making. She built like she had this massive backlist, and start. She was the only like people were getting Kindles, but there weren't enough books, right? Mm-hmm. So they were like, "Oh, Barbara Freezy, great, that's a romance novelist. She has twenty two books or, or however many. I'm going to buy them all." And then Bella saw what was happening and was like, "I had to write my backlist." So she wrote something like nine books in a year and a half. Hmm. And she was sort of the superstar from that perspective. But then on the flip side, all these authors like Entangled started and all these other small presses started and all these authors who could write really fast were doing it. And Tessa was one of them. Like Tessa was maybe the first one who I'd ever like met aside from Bella, who was like just writing crazy fast yeah and what was so interesting about tessa was she was doing it so well and like bella i think is incredibly talented and i love her books and tessa was able to sort of do it too and at the yeah. time the idea that somebody could write five books in a year was like I'm sure it was unbelievable yeah well and now god these poor
1: folks trying to write a book every five weeks
0: and the truth is like i just don't think i mean like the reality is, is that Bella, Tessa, these, these, there are, you know, there are maybe there are a handful, however many that is, like more than five, but a handful of people who are able to do this, like to write really fast and still nail the story. But like yeah. really what these books are, they're contempt, they're categories.
1: Yes. Right. Absolutely. They're not that I mean, long. Right. Right. I mean, yeah, I consider most entangled books to essentially be like categories. For yeah, well, they're for like sure.
0: they're like um, contemporaries of like the Blaze, the Harlequin Blaze. Maybe right. hotter, hotter than the Blaze. Maybe. I mean, certainly these books—they're just so hot. Yeah. Oh
1: but yeah. But then when
0: you actually read them, you're like, the sex scenes are really fast. Like, mm-hmm. there's not there's something going on in these books the craft of them is really interesting and I do think it's pacing I think it's I think so
1: too I think it's also plotting so like for example I was thinking a lot because I've been thinking a lot about plotting um and I think part of it is so I was thinking about this book right so we have them like boom out of the gates essentially like they don't they have having oral sex. Right. Mm -hmm. And then and so it's like really interesting because in some ways that reads almost like erotica. Right. Like the way we're getting to know them is sex. It's it's not a one night stand, but it sort of reads that way on page because we don't really know them at all. And then you get sort of the the complication gets introduced, which is that her, you know, Hayden's family is You know, maybe, like, having some money troubles, and her mother is really pressing her to marry someone who's willing to sort of, like, bail their business out or Mm -hmm. the dad's business out. Which is real
0: classic, like, Harlequin
1: Presents style. Sure, But. but it felt almost, like, I was thinking a lot about this. It felt almost reversed. Like, instead of that coming first, it comes second, Right, and so, and it comes right on the heels, essentially, of them like having this incendiary, like sort of like I don't know, again, like I'm gonna say sex. It's not P and V, but it might as well be. Um, Where they are like then both kind of emotionally reeling from the fact that like oh we thought we didn't like each other, so how how come this is so hot between us? And then Mm -hmm. the cool down comes right? The conflict is cooling it down rather than heating it up. And I think mm-hmm. that's like a really interesting like pattern yes. that you don't really see a lot. So then there's like this dampening effect where they're trying essentially to put out the fire that is their romance because she thinks she's going to have to marry someone else and she just doesn't want to have this situation with him. And I just think like that's like a pretty ballsy move frankly right because that's not the story we're here for and instead we see that they are like the gravity though of this like what they have together is they can't actually fight it so it the whole setup of that is all tension all the time
0: and it really
1: works it really
0: works well i mean it's also so modern and yes all of her books feel that way. like they have this they are set the setups are so beautifully modern. and like there is something very um, like they're all set in in cities right? Mm-hmm. So like there's something very like electric about the settings are all very powerful. There's always a sense of like activity around the characters. There's like she there There are always extra people. There's she sort of is she's doing something um, a kind of she's telling a sort of bigger story in some ways. But then every second of the relationship feels like fresh and new because it's these are, and I think part of it is because they're written in the um, style of a of a category like we're supposed to mm-hmm. we're supposed to feed on them the way we feed on categories like really fast it takes two and a half hours to read them like they're right. a bathtub book right but at the same time they're so different than categories as we like to talk about them well and I think it's like
1: and it is it's really interesting they 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 don't rely on, like, tropes the same way, right? Like, these two are enemies to lovers, but we're, like, meant to understand that that happened all in the past. There's no setup of enemies to lovers. It just is. So then it's like being, you know what I mean? It's all, like, kinetic energy instead of potential energy, if that makes sense, because enemies to lovers, sometimes you have to, like, set it up. We have to understand why they don't like each other. And she's just like, look, they don't. But watch me then push them off this fucking cliff that they've climbed up together. You don't need to see them climb up the cliff. We're just going to start here. And I think that there's, like, a tremendous amount of energy that, like, then gets carried out through the whole book because of, like, that starting point.
0: Yeah. And she also plays with – and that's that's the whole – that's the whole ball game. Like yeah. she's able to balance the the their sort of deep seated distaste for each other with a kind of like weird sexual tension. Like, is it is, yeah. is is it hate or is it like just fucking like desire? Plus, all and then layer in all these other issues that feel really real, like feel yeah. really authentic, like. And here's the thing, also, class this is one of the few the first contemporaries I ever read where I felt like class was really like nailed in the yeah. sense that, um, yes, Hayden obviously her family's it has money troubles, and she has this problem, right? But even poor, Hayden's rich, yeah, and they are totally different from each other,
1: yeah. You know, the other thing I thought was really interesting about the way it's played is he is constantly needling her for being a rich girl. Mm -hmm. But when she, like, turns around and there's a couple times where she essentially, like, points out that he's struggling financially or, like, he feels that way, it's really fascinating because she has these moments where she's like, I'm – Or like I think we're meant to understand she's just doing to him what he's done to her, but she's punching down because she has more money. Someone punching up to you being, like, a princess, yeah, that hurts your feelings, but when she does it, it, it just is, like, a bigger blow, and I think that's something, like, she has to figure out. They're not on an even playing field, and I think it's, I do, I think it's really well done. Like, there's the parts where she's just, like, says things and immediately kicks herself, because this really is a woman who, for whom everything really has been for sale, I mean,
0: and that's part of it too. It sort of feels it's so authentically Rome like the all I think this is part this is part of it. They the whole series, the whole book, this whole book and all the other the other books in the series all feel so like authentically romance. In the sense that, like, we've seen these stories told again and again, and we've seen these archetypes again and again, and Mm -hmm. often you don't see this archetype of, like, the poor little rich girl who, like, you know, is – that this class conversation doesn't often happen in contemporaries. Yeah. Like, when we see it happen in contemporaries, we see it happen with, like, the barista and the billionaire. Right. And you're sort of like – and it's sort of a joke, You know, that's not real. He comes in every day. He buys his coffee. They fall in love. He like pulls her out of the coffee shop and like, huzzah, happily ever after. Right. And it's there's no there's no um, thought given to the conflict that is innate in their in their their identities. That's a, a really historical conflict. Yeah. Yeah. And here Tessa is pulling it forward into not just, like, small-town contemporary. She's pulling it forward into, like, urban, city, like, police yeah. officer. Like, she's she's really layering so many different tropes in here.
1: Well, and, like, the part, and it's, like, skipping forward a lot, but, like, there's a mm. part where essentially to f- to fuck with them, her mother, which—and this is, like, the perfect example of it, right? Her mother essentially pays off— Um, Brent's sister's college tuition right kind of just to fuck with them to make it look like she's like she sets it up so it it appears that Hayden has done it as sort of like a mercy thing right like I'm just gonna pay off your you know siblings tuition and it's both this moment where you're like these people even in their money trouble can afford to write a check to just like pay off someone's college tuition which is something the rest of us have fucking nightmares about Mm-hmm. And at the same time, like, him working through why it hurts him, him working through, like, I wanted to do that. I The fact that I worked so hard for it and you just wrote a check for it makes all of my hard work worthless. Like, it's really, it's like a really interesting scene. And I think it's, like, really kind of, like, I don't know, it's, like, really playing through I think right like the the problem that it sets up and you're right like we don't really see it in romance in the same way because often and you know this is like gendered and we could talk about that it's a rich man and a woman who's like well I'm kind of supposed to be taken care of so it's fine but when we see him struggling with this and what it means about his masculinity to be a like quote-unquote provider it's really good I don't know I really
0: found myself being like wow look at that well in that scene I came back to that scene this on this reread too the scene where like he confronts her on it and they're like having sex and it's it's all like so tangled up in this really like unpleasant awesome way like there's so much going on in that scene and it's all happening simultaneously fast and furious and there's this moment where where she basically like she won't she won't give in in the sense that like her pride is too strong like he, she's so fucking tired of him just seeing her for like as like the rich girl and she says like yeah i did it and like I, it means nothing to me like it mean like this month like i spend this much money on my hair i think she says like in a month and like She's so enraged by how he can't see the truth of her. And it's so real and authentic and emotional. And she knows she's harming him. And then in that, then her, like, farewell in that scene is, like, basically saying, like, you know, if I wanted a kept man, like, this isn't, this isn't how I wanted to keep him. And, like, she, and he's so, re- he recoils from it. And, like, it's just so... I love I mean, it's an. Uh, it will be unsurprising to our longtime listeners that I love a romance where like two people hurt each other. Like because life is like that, like sometimes it's really messy and like we say things we don't mean to say or like you lash like you lash out, you know, they're weak spots. Right. I mean, this is a moment where
1: you really see love that.
0: is ab- is about that. I love a love story where like people are just. Like, they fuck up with each other. And Tessa, talk about somebody who, like, really doesn't pull that punch. Like, her characters are nuanced and angry and messy and fucked up, and they're fucked up with each other sometimes. And she somehow does it all while making it incredibly sexy and incredibly funny. Like, at times. And then, I mean, I will say, one of the things I want to talk about, and maybe this is where we should talk about sex on the page in a Tessa Bailey novel. um, But, like, she, her sex scenes do so much work in terms of, like, showing us the true nature of these characters. Like, it's the only, the sex scenes in this book, for the first, like, 80% of the book longer, are really the only time we see Brent, like, honest, I think that's true. Well, because I think there's so much
1: he's hiding. And it's because of his pride, the fact that even his best friends don't really know that he has a second job. Right? And so there's a lot of ways in which this is a place he's like, I'm comfortable, I can be myself here.
0: And demands that she be herself there, too. Yeah. And, I mean, and he sort of, he draws it out of her with dirty talk. Like, there's... (laughs) And it's so intense. And I mean, we talk, we've we talked before about how I really, I think Dirty Talk does a lot of work um, from a consent perspective on the page in romance novels. Like, Dirty Talking is in like ongoing, enthusiastic consent. Like, as long as you are talking to each other, you are both in it in the moment. Um, but at the same time, like, in Tessa uses it to unravel the characters like she uses her I mean her it's always her heroes who are the like true dirty talkers and like it's always you know she has another one that she wrote a book with um Eve Eve Dangerfield Dangerfield. called Captivated Captivated Captive Cap. I don't know it's about a it's like a it's like a dub Connie but like yeah it's really good though consensual dubcon it's like it's captivated captivated and i re and essentially it's like the heroin has had like a bad breakup and she's a graphic novelist and she's been writing this like erotic graphic novel just for herself where she fantasizes about her landlord, like her hot, her bananas, good looking, hot, broody, grunty landlord who never says anything to her and like never interacts with her at all, except to be an asshole. And she just like, she like placeholds him as a fantasy. And the graphic novel is Dubcon. Um, And Or non-con even. And he finds it, like for some reason he sees it and he identifies himself in it. And basically he says like, I can do this for you. Do you want me to do this for you? And she's like, fuck yes. Right. Mm -hmm. And then like, it's, I mean, it's, I think I talked last week about how one time I had a conversation with Tessa and she was like, and we were talking about like how like some erotic, erotic romance writers, they just like open a vein like, a straight line to their lady parts (laughs) and, like, just, you know, pour it onto the page. And, like, that's how I feel about this book. But where am I going with this? But, oh, basically, so in a lot of the cases in her books, and, look, I've written this character, too, right? Like, this is the beast archetype in terms of, like, you have a character who doesn't talk, who doesn't engage and cannot be unraveled. um, And then suddenly, like, he gets a chance, like, he, but, like, get him alone and naked and, like all he can do is talk. And that's really like, that's a pure kink for me one, but also in this particular case, like what that does is it, is it really like in, it evolves the romance and the relationship between the hero and heroine in this like really intense way because talking is all like communication is all of it when it comes to romance. Like, that's all anybody in a romance wants from the other from their other partner. Like this, just like just an open line of honest communication. And it can be real hot.
1: Well, this is interesting. I have not read this one in a long time. And one of the things I had really forgotten was that there is a whole thread in this book of her wanting control while they are in bed.
0: Yes, yeah, she handcuffs him. Yes,
1: and she spanks him at one point. <laughs> right, not, like right, exactly. And if you had asked me if you would ask me if there was ever I mean, are you surprised this is
0: my favorite?
1: No. Now I'm like, oh, I get it all. <laughs> but if you would ever asked me if there was a like Tessa Bailey book where like the heroine takes charge like that, I would have been like I don't think so. So I think there's like she's got like sort of a range that I I sort of focus so much on these like hilarious grunting heroes. Like one of my favorites is in her Maiden Jersey series. There's a hero named Duke, who I swear to God might not actually say words outside of like them be- having sex. He is mm-hmm. the gruntiest hero ever. And I'm super, super into it because it's not about them being non-communicative, right? It's about Them just being, like, introverted and quiet and being good. Like, there's a, there's a, I mean, some of it is super, like, possessive man cave. But these heroes also are aware of that. And I think that's kind of why it works for me, ultimately, is because they're aware that these are, this is how they feel and this is their tendency and, like, when to curb it. And then when it does come out, it's when they're together having sex and, therefore, it's real real hot and he gets off on it and she gets off on it and we do too it's great
0: yeah i mean i do think it's important like brent isn't her quietest hero no i mean he's not her loud loudest either but there's so much intensity um and i and i i mean like i just feel like don't sleep on Tessa Bailey yeah I feel like a lot of people don't sleep on Tessa Bailey like (laughs) but I do think if I think that she's somebody who like if you haven't ever read Tessa's books like you hear about her and you think oh I'll get to her like when we could have easily talked about her last week with quick and dirty but there's something very different about the like I think these are this episode and last week's episode go together in some way but I think what's different about Tessa's books is that there's a complexity to them that um is that uh, that brings them out of that sort of quick and dirty category. I would agree. The other thing that was really
1: interesting and I saw it with Cressley too is that like when I went back and read this, I was like, oh, she really has some um, some tells, right? Or some, like, some things she's, like, constantly noodling over. When Kelly and I go to art museums, sometimes we look at artists' work and we say, like, oh, she's really working through some things, right? Like, <laughs> Like, you can tell. Wait, what does that mean? Say more. So it's like... Sometimes you can see an artist is just like working and reworking the same idea from different angles trying to figure out what it's about. Mm Mm-hmm. And yes. so often, right, that makes sense. And so yes. um, sometimes, especially you can see it if you ever go to an art museum where you see, like, one exhibit by the same person. So you're seeing their early work to their later work. And then you're really seeing, like, oh, look, like, here's the, rep- you know, here's this motif reappearing. Here's this part reappearing. And one of the things that was really interesting having, I I would say, I've, I don't think I've read all of her books. Well, there are a lot of them. There's, like, a run in the middle there are a lot of them also she there's some first person present ones and i hate to say this but i i'm not going to say anything more than it was her switch from third past to first present that made me realize that i didn't like it i was like wait what's happening here mm. um Cause it's here as like an author I love and all of a sudden I'm sort of like struggling with it, but it doesn't really matter. It's fine. Um, but there's all these ways in which there's like these fingerprints of Tessa Bailey that we see in other books. Right. So this like weekend in Atlantic city, um, sort of the, 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 one of the big things though, is this pull that almost all of her characters feel between like familial duty an mm-hmm. individual desire. Mm-hmm. What do I want versus what am I, What does my family want? Who am I when I'm on my own versus who am I when my family is with me or how they expect me to be? And this is something that I think you see like, like in every single one of her books is really characters working through this. And I just think it's really interesting to like sometimes when you go back to an earlier book, you're like, oh, there's that this piece and she hasn't quite worked it out yet so this trip to atlantic city is gonna we're gonna find it again right like um there's a whole scene in this book where there's like a whole thing with like um the the connecting doors between the rooms that like we see again and driven by fate i mean so there's like a lot of ways in which you see her like sort of like playing with the same kind of like it's almost like Mr. Potato Head, right? Like I'm playing with these same parts and I'm like sort of reassembling and them this time. And like, is this the way that I want to do it? And now I'm reassembling it this way. And is this the time I want to do it? And I think it's like really interesting to actually like have enough of an author's work that you can really like see that in action.
0: Yeah. Well, you can also, there's also a, uh, aside from the motifs that you're talking about, there's also a core story in a te- in most of these Tessa Bailey books. It's interesting because the one book that feels different to me is her most recent. Um, so let me talk about what I'm talking about in terms of core story and then and then we'll get there. But um I think so I think we've talked about core story before and how it feels like When you when you're able to look at a body of work from an author, you're often looking at the especially in romance, you're looking at the same story told over and over and over again, like Mm -hmm. in different obviously in different ways, like it's it's never the same, but it is always sort of there's a seed of this idea. And I think one of the things that Tessa does and something that I was really moved by in this reread um, is this question of women as as rock, like women as centering force. For for men, um, which I think is a really modern again, it goes back to that modernity that that I was talking about earlier, but about how the books feel really modern, because I think in 2020 or in the Mm -hmm. last like 10 years and again, and we go back to, you know, these books were published in 2013. She came out of the gate in 2013, like in the in the wake of a recession that had really like decimated men. In America, mm-hmm. um, and really set women up to have to be caretakers in a in multiple ways, like f- financially as well as all the other ways that women caretake. And I think that what she tells uh, so many of her books tell this story of like broken or damaged hero who is either struggling with self-identity or struggling with finance or struggling with um kind of worldview and the heroine who 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 like aids aids and and encourages him to like do more. I'm right now um, I'm drawing a blank on it but there was the police officer one where the heroine um, the hero is an alcoholic and the heroine is is a police like is like she's the she comes in to give him he's in basic training like he um, I don't think it's called basic training for police officers but <laughs> he is a recovering alcoholic who has like later in life like he's in his 30s i want to say late 20s early 30s and he's decided that he wants to go back like he's going to join the police academy and like get himself in order it's called indecent exposure yeah and she is a like a like marks a like marksmanship expert and she comes to teach a class it's very like top gun um but at the same time it has this kind of woman as rescuer in some way. And there's something, there's something in that story that is both powerful and really, um, kind of like heartbreaking and also very authentic. And there's a lot of worry in that, that like, I feel like readers can, can negotiate as women in the world in 2020. Because, like, these are real valid worries for all of us. And, like, a billionaire isn't going to swoop in always and, like, give us an orgasm and a, you know, a new car and $25,000 in our checking account. Like, some of us don't have that as an option. I don't think she's ever written a billionaire, right? Like that is
1: not a story she's interested in at all.
0: No. And Tessa's telling us like, that's not our only option. Our other option is love. Like our other option is partnership. Our other option is like work. And her characters are always willing to do the work. And like, that's really powerful. But now that I've sort of done that whole thing and I originally said like, oh, I think the new book is different in some way. But now that I'm actually thinking about it, I don't think that's true. Like, I think the newest book is, is also this version of the story. However, and this is something that I want to talk about because at some point we really should do a marriage of convenience interstitial because the new book, which is called Love Her or Lose Her, is that right? Yes. Um, is a marriage, or not marriage of convenience, Like, but a- Marriage in trouble. It's a marriage and trouble story. And like, here's the thing about this. Tessa- Is younger than certainly you and I, Um, and the beginning of her career, she was writing like she was writing. She has written a lot of books about young people falling in love. Um, This one is her first married couple, and I mean, I know young young romance readers. I know because I was one, right? Like people, young romance readers don't love don't always come to this as a as a plot line because it feels sad. It's hard to wrap your head around like marriage being hard. But like those of you who are listening, who, you know, have, have come to that realization either in your own marriage or seen it around you. Like this book, Love Her or Lose Her is really a book that's about like, it's just, it's a next level book from Tessa Bailey. She's still telling this core story, but now she's doing it with like two people who, you know, have loved each other for a long time and now need to find that again, find themselves again.
1: It's, yeah, I really loved Love Her, Lose Her. I thought it was really, I thought it was great. I think part of it too for me was one of the things about like sort of the Tessa Bailey core story is about like women being like these rocks. Yeah. And it's often like men, Men aren't changing a lot in her books, and some of them, some of them more than others, of course, right? But one of the things I actually really liked about this book is that Dominic in Love Her Loser is that he he's the one who really has to change, you know, and he's the one who who realizes like. You know, and and I think it's both of them. I think it does a really fantastic job of showing, like, both of them Mm -hmm. having caught, like, sort of brought something to the table. But that, like, his journey is so carefully wrought. And I think that that, like, that's, you know, ultimately why it really works for me. Whereas, you know, as much as I love protecting what's his,
0: which is the first book she ever read. I mean, the two are so, it's wild. Because they're both great. But, like, it's it's
1: barely the same writer. Yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is really like talk about seeing um, seeing a writer's like journey, right? It's almost like you can't even believe that they're the same thing. And I think that part of what is, you know, there's a certain kind of appeal. I, I will say this, right? When you read about characters who know who they are, and are happy with who they are and are confident with who they are. And mm-hmm. that, that's, that's Derek. Derek Tyler is his name. And then you get books like with Love Her, Lose Her where you get Dominic who's like, I can stay this way, but it's going to mean I'm not going to have this woman in my life and it's not worth it. Mm -hmm. and there's something pretty great about that, too. And I think, like, that's why, like, she just has a a lot of range, even though the the heroes especially tend to be, like like I said, sort of taciturn, right? Like, men who are just trying to, like, take care of their families and, like, do that thing. I think there's a tremendous amount of, like, I don't know, flexibility in the way that they approach that, that falling in love problem. And I think that that's something that I think there's so much nuance there. It's there's so much more than just like the dirty talk. I mean, that's like, it's I mean, amazing. that's what we
0: say. We're like, Oh, queen of dirty talk. But the reality is, is that Tessa Bailey's books are important. Like they yeah. say, they say a thing, they do a thing, they accomplish that thing. And I, I mean, I, I don't know her, I don't know her very well. I mean, I know her well enough to text her and ask her if it's her first book, (laughs) but like I don't, I don't know her process well enough or her, her, you know, life well enough to know if like she's even aware that she's telling these stories. But like, this is the Tessa Bailey story and it is so essential to romance. Like, and there aren't that many people doing it because when we see these characters, when we see these like kind of. Ex-soldiers or police officers, or uh, you know, all these kind of like um, you know, working heroes in other in other places in the genre, we see them in like their most heroic, at their most heroic. And with Tessa, we don't see them as their most heroic. We see them as flawed, nuanced humans. And there's something so powerful about that. Yeah, I
1: think she also I think there's a a fair amount of like risk taking and and one thing I wanna say is like so in protecting what's his, these are clearly like characters that she really has a lot of affection for. And they turn up again and again. She actually – there's actually like a kind of a, almost like a little sequel novella called Protecting What's Theirs. Mm-hmm. Ginger, who is the heroine of that book, has a younger sister who gets her own book. And so we see them again. And then Derek is like the, you know, the lieutenant or whatever, you know, to like sort of – in a later series – but one of the things that's really interesting about the the sister's book, which is called Unfixable, is that she at the end of – George, of ginger and Derek's first of that first book kind of like falls in love with this high school boyfriend and everything seems great between them and then when we see her as an adult she looks back on that relationship and can say like it actually wasn't so great he he wanted me to be someone different than I really was and I changed for him and I shouldn't have had to and I thought that that took a lot of nerve even though she was young and a teenager and we sort of leave that book feeling like there's this H FN feeling to Mm. then like pull that character out and show her like I don't know probably I don't know how long it is if it's like a decade later she's 28 I'm not really sure is my guess and Mm -hmm. say like have her reflect and be like you know it seemed like I was happy at the time but I wasn't Mm -hmm. you know I mean I remember feeling like oh damn you could have just left Willa you could have just left her where she was with the high school boyfriend but Instead, it's like no, and I no. think it takes a lot of guts in romance to even take any romantic relationship you put on a page, secondary page. romance, yeah, and say that actually that was I was happy at that night at the mm-hmm. prom, but that wasn't who I was, and it's not yeah. who I am now.
0: And yeah, and I was like, damn, that you did it. <laughs> we talked about the Black Dagger Brotherhood series, and we it didn't even we didn't even bring up the fact that like. There's an established couple at the start of that series, and she dies over the course of the first few books. Like, and Jara Ward took a lot of heat for that and then matches the hero with another woman in a future book. And, you know, took a lot of heat, so you're right. I mean, like, that's a bold choice, and um, I'm not surprised that Tessa did it, though. Like, she's so good. She's so... I mean, I also, you know, I'm uh, on a purely writerly note, I'm, I'm blown away by Tessa's discipline. She produces so much content like, yeah, she's constantly she handle like aside from just being a a really fast and skilled writer she has a really devoted fan base that she cares for and feeds with like thought and love I've never seen anybody manage a crowd the way Tessa manages a crowd like she's just she's such a class act um yeah She's just a great like she's great. She's one of those people who like sometimes sometimes over the course of this this podcast I've said, like, don't meet your idols. Like you can yeah. Tessa. She's great. Yeah. Well, I think
1: the other thing too is I think she's, and again, you know, she's got a She's in, however, right? If it's 2013, we're talking like seven years of production, right? I think she also is like trying new things. I mean, and I mm-hmm. think that's the other reason it sort of like works for me is, I mean, clearly, like, I don't actually read a lot of her cop books, you know, though, you know, there, that's some of them have worked for me and some of them haven't. Like the one with the alcoholic, um, in decent exposure I I did really like. Some of them don't necessarily work for me. But that's not like it's, like, really all she's doing. You know, she has a book about rock stars. She tried, like, a BDSM series. You know, she writes – she publishes stuff indie, kind of in between her big, like, now Avon releases, right? So she's got a book coming out in a couple weeks, which I cannot wait to get my hands on. Yeah, paranormal rom-com. You know, I think she's really – like, I think that's the other reason is – Even if like one of her books doesn't work for you, she's trying so many different things that there's a a way in which – Um and I I respect that. I respect an author who's like she hustles, man. Constantly pushing. Yeah. She's hustling and she's also like trying new things and she and I I do. I really like it. So even the times a book like really hasn't quite worked for me, it doesn't really matter because I can still see it it just feels like okay, that one wasn't a good match, but there's so much else out there that she's doing and I love it. Mm We like her. We like her a lot. You know what I really want to talk about though? Wait, can we talk can about the ending me? of Asking for Trouble where he <laughs> is literally banging down the courthouse <laughs> doors
0: to stop this wedding? I love it. I mean, I love a stopped wedding. I honestly loved it. I mean, I, I yeah. You know why? Because like it was perfect. It was a perfect low moment. Like there was, a, it was a perfect, you know, frantic. I love a frantic hero. Oh God, yes. I mean, I love a frantic hero. Oh, yes. And um, yes. You know, I just I and you know, yeah. It's I it's a great book. It's a great book. I yes, obviously I like it a lot because she like handcuffs him and spanks him and like <laughs> yeah. and he's it's so free and I love it. But like yeah. I also love it because I just think it's one of those romances that I know it's I can go back to Anytime and reread it and it will give me joy and it will hit all the right notes and scratch all the right itches. Yeah. And I just I and what's wild about it is when I picked it early when we made this list and I was like Tessa Bailey, I thought, oh, maybe I'll get there and it'll just be like, you know, a one-handed read. Right. And the truth is, like on the reread, reading like every word and actually thinking about it this time. I realize like, how much work Tessa is doing in these books. And and it's so effortless. Nobody, like, you don't notice until you notice. I agree. Um, 100%. Great job, Tessa Bailey. A+. Plus. <laughs> so,
1: Jennifer, I don't know what we're reading next, Sarah. So you're just going to, everybody's going to have to wait. We'll just announce it.
0: We'll re- announce it next week. In the inter- in the interstitial, we'll decide it between now and then, or maybe we'll announce it on Twitter or something before yeah, then. Yeah, exactly. We'll figure it out. So you can call us and tell us about a book that blooded you at six four six four five zero three seven six six. That this is the only way you can get that telephone number. Thank you all so much for calling in. We love your voicemails a whole lot. Um, also, I saw I saw a couple people talking online about how they word the voicemail. Of the week a couple of weeks ago. I know. It's so exciting. Everybody really loves is. to hear themselves. So if I you want know. to hear yourself on the radio or on the whatever this is, I know. On the radio. On the, uh, in, the internet. <laughs> You're my favorite. Okay, wait, let me say this
1: part because Kelly was like, listen, you need to do better. Okay. So you can buy t shirts and totes from Jordan Dene at JordanDene.com because she was like, people aren't going to go to show notes every time, or from Ke- buttons and pins from Kelly at JenReadsRomance.com. And Eric Mortenson is our producer, and we will let you know next time or at some point what we're going to read. We forgot to talk about it. And we can't decide right now
0: because we've tried that before and mistakes were made didn't work out um (laughs) we will be back next week with an interstitial somebody actually texted or instagrammed us with a good idea that I think we're gonna do next week um and yeah we love you read read a Tessa Bailey book you won't be sad yeah there are like 4,000 of them you'll be very happy you found a new author all right. Good night, everybody. Good night.
2: Hi, my name is Christina, and I'm from Sacramento, California. Um, the book that flooded me was Lindsay Sands' Love Bites. Um, when I was a senior in high school, early part of the year, my best friend sat behind me in school, and... She read every single day, and one day I turned around, and I was like, what are you reading? And she had this purple book with a little bat on it, she goes, you know what, I'm going to stop. I'll just give it to you. And she gave it to me, and I read it, and it was about Etienne Argenau, um, who is a 300-year-old bachelor, um, and he is a vampire, and he falls in love with Rachel Garrett, who's a morgue worker uh there's some accident and some hijinks involved um i read that book and it just was like oh i need more of this kind of stuff so i came back to school two days later gave her the book and i gave her money so that she could go buy it for me because i loved it so much and it was her copy so she went to the bookstore the following weekend and what she returned with was not love bites by lindsay sands but Gina Showalter is the nymph king, and that (laughs) book, Gina is a master. Her, uh, just, Valerian is the nymph king, and he and the other male nymphs down in Atlantis have um, gone, they're they're in charge of guarding a door that goes to our world um, because Atlantis is under the sea and it's where all of the mythical creatures live and they go out and, you know, kidnap some women, but they're looking for mates. Um, it's a little bit of a touchy t- uh, premise these days, but Gina, I mean, all of her books are what read, led me to Cressley Cole. So they're just, wonderful books and Gina is just a master at her craft just as much as Cressley and I hope you guys have read it and if you want to look me up on Twitter it's uh, Christina Vince and I will hopefully hear from someone thank you